Welcome to Retire Smarter with Kevin Krosky. Find answers to your toughest questions and get educated about the financial world. It's time to retire smarter. Welcome to another episode of Retire Smarter. Walter Storholt here alongside Kevin Krosky, President and Wealth Advisor at True Wealth Design, serving you throughout Northeast Ohio. Going to have a great show on tap for you today, but first let's say hello to the man of the hour, Kevin Krosky. How are you, sir? The man of the hour. Thank you very much, Walter Storholt. That's uh, I love these little entrees where you just kind of beef up my, I don't know, my ego, I suppose. But my wife may say that that's not needed. I would disagree. Um, it always feels good. But yes, how are you today, Walter? Everyone needs their ego stroke from time to time. So we're happy to get you off to a good start here on the show each and every time. And it's not really the man of the hour. You're really more like the man of the next 30 minutes, 30 to 40 minutes. <laughs> All right. But we'll give you All a little right, extra and say the man of the hour today. Just to, All so right. It can linger even after the podcast is done a little bit. <laughs> Lives on in perpetuity. That's right. That's right. We've got a great show today because it's one of my favorite kinds of shows that we do here on Retire Smarter. It's a, a case study, a story, the opportunity to hear of what it really looked like when somebody came into Kevin and met with the team at True Wealth Design with a problem, with a situation that they were going through, and what all transpired and happened from that meeting, and what the problems were, Kevin, how you guys helped problem solve it all, and can't wait to hear all the different directions that this week's story takes us into. Sure. Uh, so, yeah, I enjoy sharing these stories, too. I mean, it just, you know, that's why we... We're in business, right, to help people. And I think we can all learn from other people's stories. It's frankly, it's just how people communicate. And we learn much better than just having some sort of uh, droning podcaster or professor kind of lecturing you. But uh, stories uh, we can relate to sometimes. Uh, hopefully, if I do a decent job telling it, or Walter, you help me out as you help me be the man of the half hour, um, we can bring it to life and, and people can glean some good information from it. And whether it you know directly applies to you in terms of maybe age or, or life circumstance, I, I certainly that helps, um, but I don't think that's necessarily required. Essentially, I think the story is going to have a, a commonality between a lot of people that face these questions about, you know, hey, uh, do I have enough? You know, should I hire a financial advisor? How do I find somebody that's both trustworthy and competent and can help me make the most out of what I have and sleep better at night? And uh, hopefully at the end of the show, that will be very clear. So I, a friend of mine uh, hadn't talked to you in, I don't know, probably 10 years or so. It's been quite some time. He was a college buddy of mine and uh, knew me when I was uh, younger, had hair, and um, was probably in the process of killing a fair amount of brain cells going through my undergrad college. And uh, he reached out to me. He had been in Denver for many years and, and moved back to Northeast Ohio. And uh, unfortunately, he, he lost his dad about a year ago. He had shared with me and uh, his mom still living. And uh, he was calling me for help about his mom. And we'll call her Sue. And uh, one of the things he shared with me was, you know, Sue was in her early 70s and had never lived alone. She lived at home and she lived at home until she met his dad, her husband, and they got married. And then she lived with him for more than 50 years. And now here she is in her early 70s and a widow. And her husband had handled the finances for all the years that they were together. So here's Sue early 70s, still mourning the loss of her husband that she had been with for more than 50 years. You know, he had handled all the money for all those years and she had never lived alone. And now she's completely starting over. And why Chad called me 
was uh, she had already been to two other financial people. I, it, they had one uh, that they worked with whenever her husband was still living. And there was another one that um, somebody had introduced her to. She went into their office and met with them as well. And the reason why Chad called me was, frankly, his mom had no peace of mind, did not have a good experience. Somebody sold her something that they probably shouldn't have. And he was just begging me to help figure out you know, <laughs> what should Sue do. So to paint a little bit more of the picture for Sue, after I spoke with Chad, I suggested that he and Sue come in and they came into the office and uh, actually met with Marissa, Marissa Beyer, who's also in my office. And, and frankly, Marissa has a lot of uh, widow clients that she works with. Uh, she's very good, very patient, um, does a good job listening and understanding and just kind of you know, being there for them and guiding them. And when we sat down with Sue, Turns out she had you know around a half a million dollars. She had income streams coming in for a uh, small pension and Social Security, and she had sold her house as well, uh, and was now in an apartment. And uh, I would, in her words, she was scared. Not only was she scared, she said she was really scared. This was still completely new to her. She again, I mean didn't handle money for all those years, pretty much for her lifetime. You know, just kind of handled some of the spending, buying groceries, things like that. Never lived alone. I mean, all this is completely, completely new. And I don't know about you, Walter, but the older I get, the more set in my ways I seem to be. Is, would you say that's been the case for yourself? Well, yeah. And then you don't have previous experiences to really draw on to help you then, you know, get through this new challenge. So, I mean, it's 70 years of not doing a task and then all of a sudden it's all on your shoulders that's a big shock to the system yeah and i think you know being scared is certainly not only understandable but probably expected so you know we certainly had a lot of uh sympathy for you know what she was going through um but we <laughs> frankly we also had a lot of anger we had a lot of anger uh, about some of these other financial salespeople that were in her life and not really um, helping her get the clarity and get the peace of mind that she needed. Uh, and we'll get to those guys in a minute. So Sue has you know, a few kids, uh, several grandkids. Um, she's in this new apartment. She's not sure how much she can spend. She's not sure if she's going to run out of money. She's not sure if she has enough. She's not sure if she might have to go back to work. And understandably, all this contributes to her being you know, very scared. So one of the time-sensitive things that we had to deal with right away was she had signed uh, paperwork to buy an annuity. And there were, Walter, as, as you're aware, as soon as you hear that A word from me, you know I'm not overly enthused about them. But it, And it was one of the, the worst types, in my opinion. It was one of those indexed uh, annuities. So she went in uh, this person's office. Again, somebody had taken her into the office and referred her. And literally, like she came out with, you know, she wrote a check for more than $100,000 and put it into an annuity. So no plan, no thinking like, hey, does this make sense? Or, hey, how much can you spend? Or, or really even getting to know her for that matter. It's just like, hey, you know, I have a hammer. You look like a nail. Boom, here you go. Here's an index annuity. Write me a check. And I'm sure the sales pitch sounded a lot better than that. But when you dissect it, that's really, in my opinion, what it came down to. So she was in what is called a free look period and basically could go ahead and, and get out of this and surrender and get her money back. And uh, that's what we encouraged her to do. And that is, in fact, what she did. And, and the reason being, we said, look, you know, let's just put the brakes on. 
let's back up, let's slow it down. Let's actually take a look at your spending. Let's go ahead and take a look at the income sources that you have. Let's take a look at the assets that you have. Most of it was in cash, some of it was in stocks, stock-based mutual funds, and uh, some of it, at least for a short period of time, was in this annuity that she was getting out of, being that she was in this free look period. And she liked that. We we started talking about just, you know, you could kind of tell by looking at her situation that she was really underspending. I mean, it's after you do this for a while and you, you know, you work with potentially you know, 100, 200 clients and you're updating their financial plans every year. We're doing their tax returns. We're kind of looking at what they're spending on uh, for health care, for kind of core expenses, for more discretionary things that add a little bit of spice to life to go ahead and dote on grandkids or whatever it may be, or, or you know, take a trip and, and get out of the cold for a little while. But we have all that information. You build up that wisdom and that experience over time. And and here again, this was all new for Sue and you know her son was trying to help her out, but he you know he didn't know. That's why he called us. And we could plainly see like Sue was definitely underspending. She could do a lot more. And so we just started asking her, you know, is there anything else that you, you may want to do? And she would regularly take a trip and take a trip uh, with her husband and, and go down to Florida for a little while. And she said she'd like to continue to do that. But she wasn't. At least she wasn't allowing herself to do it because she didn't, she didn't have that clarity. She didn't know she could. Again, she might run out of money in her mind. She has these grandkids that she loves and arguably maybe loves them even more now that her husband's not here and, and has even more time to go ahead and, and fill and devote to something meaningful, um, being that he's not here. And we asked the question, you know, is there anything else you'd like to do? And that, you know, the grandkids, um, grandma's almost, their eyes almost always sparkle when, when you mention the grandkids and Sue is no different. <laughs> And, you know, so we just started talking about that and, and what that means. And you, know, you could just tell that she derived so much enjoyment, you know, from that. And I'm sure the, you know, it, <laughs> the grandkids welcome it as well, right? Who wouldn't? Um, so we just had, a, we just listened to her and we asked, you know, thought what we think were somewhat thought provoking questions really about the lifestyle that she has and that she did have before when she was with her husband. And then, you know, some of those, you know, well, what if you could spend more, but you could go ahead and do it in a very safe way so that you didn't have to worry about running out of money, you know, would you? And if so, what would you spend it on? And so, you know, it's, it's that kind of conversation, you know, granted her situation was unique in that she never lived alone. She was married for more than 50 years. She lost her husband. She didn't handle money. All that is Sue's story. And there's other people that are like Sue, but almost everybody has the same sort of questions that Sue had, you know, do I have enough? Am I going to have to either keep working or go back to work? Um, how much can I spend? You know, if I spend more, am I going to risk running out of money or harming myself in some way? All those questions are common to every single client that we sit down with. And, and even for clients that have you know, several millions of dollars, I think everybody still has to have some healthy skepticism and ask themselves if they have enough. Certainly you get to a point and it, it becomes more plain to see that you do. And maybe the focus becomes more, more discretionary, if you will, rather than, hey, are my needs covered? You know, maybe some more of my wants, are they covered or or things along those lines. But but nonetheless, I think we all have to start with those core questions about, do I have enough? Am I going to be okay? You know, what kind of rate of return do I really need to go ahead and, and make my financial plan work? And can I invest in a way where I can get that sort of rate of return on a reliable basis at a risk level that I'm comfortable with? 
So those were the questions that we started going down uh, the road with with Sue. And it was a good meeting. It was uh, you know just under an hour and a half um, that Sue gave Marissa. Marissa went to shake Sue's hand at the end of the meeting. And Sue declined shaking her hand and instead gave her a hug. And, you know, she just listened to her. You know, she started giving her that clarity and that peace of mind that, that everybody deserves to have around their money and their finances and not be jammed up and sold with some annuity or, or money management program or any financial product. All those other things, you know, are important, but, you know, they come later. First, you have to understand the person and what they want to do and formulate the plan. And then you can get down to, well, how are we going to actually implement the plan? What sort of products do we need to go ahead and make the plan work? So many different little considerations that need to go into stuff before you start even talking about what the fix is. You got to understand, you know, the other goals and the other moving parts that, you know, swirl all around the problems or somebody's somebody's life in these issues. And yeah, listening ends up being the most important thing, especially out of the gate in meeting number one. I'm going to guess, Kevin, you don't even really do much planning in a first meeting with somebody. It's just all that listening that's taking place and getting to know your clients there's a lot of listening you know there's um a lot of understanding the, the, frankly the thing that we have to be careful about is you know after you've been doing this for as long as we have and building up the the experience and the wisdom it's easy to start solving problems somewhat quickly i mean certainly you have to understand the person but a lot of times in that first meeting you start identifying some issues and you can start fixing them but you know, a lot of times there's there's a path that you need to take. Um, you know, the goal isn't just to fix the problem, but to, you know, have it fixed and fix it in a way where people understand, you know, what's occurring. Their peace of mind is going up. They have a better sleep at night factor, if you will. But it's a little bit of an education process and connecting the dots and kind of unpacking things and then showing how the pieces of the puzzle fit together. And again, all that is predicated on understanding the person you know, who they are, uh, you know, if they're married, understanding them together and their family and what's important to them. So, you know, it's, I, I've, frankly, I've been, um, men in general, the whole Venus Mars thing, uh, men are, are fixers. Um, you know, women are a little bit more, um, again, these are broad stereotypes, but, uh, blame the book if you don't like it, but you know, they like to talk about it some more. And uh, again, it, it comes back down to the client and not only who they are, but your communication style. So we have some clients that want to get down to business and do it right away. And they may be married to a spouse that wants to really kind of talk about it. So it's not only is it important to understand and listen, but you really have to communicate potentially very differently with a couple in the same room, in the same meeting, which really is a skill that's, I think, developed over time, uh, for uh, an intuitive, maybe self-aware advisor that is kind of bringing them down that path. So have you gone beyond the initial meeting and the hug? What followed kind of the initial interactions here with Sue? So, the, well, I can, we can confirm that the annuity has been canceled. You know, so the free look means that she could basically void the contract without penalty. You know, she has her money back in our account. Sue is actually coming in. Uh, I don't, frankly, it may be today or, or next week. Um, but, you know, I checked in with uh, her son the day after the meeting just to see how mom was doing. And, and he just said it couldn't have gone better. They're really looking forward to the plan that, that we're putting together that Marissa's going to share with her when she comes back in. So, so we don't have that yet. But, on, and I don't want to presume anything, but, you know, frankly, the bar has been set really low with these other financial people that she's encountered in her life. And so, I wish uh, everybody would take this sort of approach and not just kind of a sales approach. Um, 
But anyway, um, the bar has been set pretty low. I would be really surprised if we didn't take care of Sue for the rest of her life. Well, it's great to hear, Kevin, and uh, glad that she's going to be able to get the assistance that she needs to get a better plan in place. And like you said, a lack of confidence was just a really big part of that situation, the lack of an overall plan. And now she's going to get that in place. I'm sad that it took three different advisors for her to finally be able to find the right, you know, the right fit and to be able to get the kind of planning that she needs, but a good moral to the story to where it's not a bad idea to, you know, if you've done some shopping around for an advisor before, if you've never shopped around for an advisor, maybe do that. Not all are created equal. That is a big takeaway from this as well. Just because somebody's called a financial advisor doesn't mean they do the same things as the next person who might be labeled as a financial advisor. The range of services, attention to detail, and care can vary very much so from firm to firm. So make sure you're working with one that's going to be a good fit for you and provide this kind of comprehensive planning and this level of care as well. Walter, you bring up some really good points in what you just said, and and let me uh, summarize that in a different way. I think there's two ways that you can get hurt in working with a financial person. There's a lot of ways you can get hurt without working with a financial person, but when you're working with a financial person, they need to be trustworthy and they need to be competent. Uh, you know, the competent goes without saying, I would say, well, how do you make sure that they're competent? At a bare minimum, make sure they're a certified financial planner. You know, if you are going to go see a doctor, you're not going to go see somebody that had some medical school. You know, hopefully not only did they graduate medical school, which medical schools have a very high graduation rate, but they're board certified. You know, they're always sharpening their saw. You know, they're out there and they're doing it. And hopefully they have a good bedside manner as well. So having a certified financial planner is is kind of akin in our industry to being a doctor. With that being said, I certainly think you want somebody with some experience under the belt in helping people like you. So that part is is good there. As far as trustworthy, you know, how people get paid is a good way to start, you know, if they are earning commissions on products like the annuity uh, that she uh, avoided, the annuity contract that she avoided. Um, well, there's a big incentive to sell something that may not necessarily be in your interest. So having somebody that is working in a very clear and transparent fashion that gets paid the same regardless of what they recommend is certainly a really good starting point there. But those are the two things. They need to be competent. They need to be trustworthy. At minimum, they should be a CFP. Hopefully they have a lot of experience helping people like you. You know, if you need brain surgery, you don't want to go in and, you know, have somebody that's working on feet, for example, or uh, whatever kind of analogy you want to use but you get the point there and then you know trustworthy again trust is is built over time um and you know people you look at somebody like bernie madoff and and i don't know if he was he was certainly trusted by some but um you know if you're turning over the management of your money it's one of the things that people typically do when they work with uh, somebody like us you know have a custodian you know we whether it's schwab fidelity td ameritrade we use pershing which is uh owned by Bank of New York Mellon. It's the largest custodian in the world. They hold the money. You know, we don't hold the money. They hold the money. Um, we have uh, limited discretion to go ahead and, and make buy and sells in the client accounts you know, in accordance with their investment policy. So those are the things that you want to make sure that, that happen. Competent, trustworthy, transparent, You know, not making commissions. If they are, at minimum, make sure that they're putting the disclosure down in writing. Uh, but you know, if you can just avoid somebody that's making commissions altogether, I think that would be even better. 
Well, I'm sitting over here chuckling over your reference to the foot doctor doing heart surgery. I can just see the sign outside the business now, you know, Bob Jones, podiatrist, and then a slogan underneath, we do hearts too. And, <laughs> right. and, and maybe even under that, walk-ins welcome, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Got to be got to be careful of a doctor like that, and in many cases, that's how uh, an advisor might be kind of presenting themselves, or that might be the reality behind how they're presenting themselves is sort of the uh, hey, we don't really specialize in these things, but we'll do it anyway. You know, come come on in. We'll practice on the patient. That's right. That's exactly right. So, if you want to talk with an experienced financial advisor on the True Wealth team, you can certainly do that. Go to TrueWealthDesign.com and click on the Are We Right for You button to schedule a fifteen minute call with the team. Again, truewealthdesign.com. We'll put a link in the description of today's show in the show notes where you can uh, find that link and access the site from there. You can also find out about upcoming events in Northeast Ohio and learn about upcoming workshops and other great details about the True Wealth team all there on the site, truewealthdesign.com, or call Kevin and the team directly at 855-TWD-PLAN. That's 855-893-7526. Kevin, thanks for the help on this week's show. You were the man of the half hour, certainly, and uh, we'll look forward to another great episode with you next time. All right. Thank you, Walter. (laughs) Take care. And uh, we'll talk to you next time on the episode as well. Thanks for listening. For Kevin Krosky, I'm Walter Storholt. We'll talk to you soon on Retire Smarter. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.